Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help. Legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 229 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsors. Thanks to Text Expander for sponsoring our show. Communicate smarter with Text Expander. Gather, perfect, and share your knowledge. Recall your best words instantly and repeatedly. Learn more at textexpander.com forward slash podcast. And we'd also like to thank ServeNow, a nationwide network of trusted, pre-screened process servers, work with the most professional process servers who have experience in high-volume serves, embrace technology, and understand the litigation process. Visit ServeNow.com to learn more. Well, in our last episode, we unveiled our... 2019 technology resolutions, and I can report that I am already making serious progress on mine. Braggart. I don't know about you, Tom. Braggart. In this episode, we go way, way back to the basics and explore what we actually might mean these days by the term legal technology and whether it's worth taking a stab at, at trying to define that. Uh, the Our answer might surprise you a little bit. Tom? What's all on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will indeed be exploring the definition of legal technology, what we mean by the term, and whether there is a good way to agree on what the term means. A hint, we might have a handy tool for you to use. In this uh, second segment, we'll talk about what, if anything, we found interesting from uh, the Consumer Electronics Show 2019, CES. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, what do we mean or what is meant by the term legal technology? After all, the tagline for this podcast is a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. Uh, To be honest, I don't think we've, uh, to my knowledge, we've never defined or limited ourselves on this podcast. If it's technology, if it benefits or affects lawyers and the services they provide, uh, I think we have considered it fair game. But uh, is it accurate? Is it an accurate description of what we talk about? In this episode, we're going to try to figure that out. Um, Dennis, where do you want to start? I'm hoping it's someplace easy, right? I get this question sometimes. It's funny because we're in this little silo and we talk about legal tech and we sort of assume we're all talking about the same thing and everybody knows what we're talking about. But as I've been doing some teaching and talking with people, it's uh, I don't think that's a fair assumption. The understanding is really within the silo. So my favorite uh, thing that I think I want to get off the table right away is that sometimes I'll talk about like, oh, I write about legal tech and stuff. And people go, will say, as opposed to illegal tech. So I think that's one part of the definition that uh, when we talk about legal tech, we're not saying something that's at, technology is actually legal versus something that's illegal. So let's uh, that's let's an easy uh, distinction that, to make. Yes, that so that's the easy one. And um, but actually, it's surprising how often I, I run into that one. So I've been uh, looking at this definitional question 
and I was telling Tom before the podcast, I'm not like a big fan of uh, lawyers especially, but digging into definitions uh, tends to get in the way of actually wor- getting work done for me. But there is a value I found in teaching uh, to try to come up with with, with something that, that, that does that. But even with the, the students I have, they had a hard time kind of understanding what I meant by legal technology. So I took a number of stabs at it. So there's that sort of basic question, Tom. And then, then I also think that the when we started this podcast, if we you thought about what legal technology uh, was, I think it's actually changed fairly dramatically since then. I think that you're right. I think that when I first started in getting, I mean, frankly, legal technology has been around for much longer than I started. But even since I got started in it around, you know, the the late 1990s, early 2000s, um, I think that it has expanded in terms of what it means. I think what we're going to talk about today shows that it's not just what you might be thinking of in your mind as relating to legal technology. I think that because of the way that technology has grown, because of the way that it that new technologies have sprung up to serve people, whether it's serving lawyers or serving clients or the people who want legal services, um, I think that that definition necessarily has had to change and modify. And I think it's interesting, but I also think it's worth describing. So where, where do we head with that, Dennis? Well, I think that uh, we look at what's going on outside of legal. So in my time at MasterCard, you could say there's payment tech, financial tech sort of had this notion that we called fintech. You could see reg tech, uh, which was approaches to you know regulatory issues through technology, maybe an insurance tech, other things like that. So you'd say, well, what what could there be that's is legal tech fall into something like that? Or is that how we would want to use it? Are we just looking at uh, what lawyers do with technology? So is there you know, something internal that's, that we would call legal tech that we're really talking about? We're excluding this external sort of direct-to-consumer thing, or can it broaden? And I, I guess, Tom, what got me thinking and, and is... Uh, this Chrissy Lightfoot, who uh, does some cool, really cool AI things in uh, in the UK, uh, had, had talked recently about uh, a division between legal tech and law tech. And I thought that was a good starting point. I don't know, Tom, do you want to take a, a crack at how those two terms might be used? She takes a position that there's really two different kinds of, she, she sort of divides up technology for lawyers or legal services into legal tech and law tech. And um, I'll say straight out, I'm not sure I agree with her distinction. She describes legal tech as technology that merely augments what a lawyer is already doing that makes making them more efficient she, she'll say things something like lawyers aren't changing their business model or their way of delivering legal services I'm I frankly am not sure I agree with that as a definition of legal tech I think it's the technology that enables them to change the way that they deliver their services um, more efficiently in some cases more accurately faster cheaper that's a huge change of a business model as we used to have it by contrast 
podcast, though, Law Tech is more about consumers using technology to help themselves. The legal zooms, um, the other types of you know tax preparation services, those types of things where uh, we, the, the things that we're seeing a lot more now with access to justice, where where consumers can uh, can deal with uh, things on their own. That's something that she's calling Law Tech. I'll be real honest here. I really see it as a distinction without a difference. Um, I, I, it's fine if you want to call it something different, but to me, it's all legal technology because it is technology that helps perform a legal service, whether it's the lawyer that's performing it, whether it's the consumer that's receiving it. I still view it as part of you know br different branches from the same tree, and I think that calling it law tech versus legal tech really has the potential to perpetuate uh, the confusion there. I, I, I'm fine with it, and if we want, I know I know that it sort of makes up a part of the discussion that we're going to have. But to me, I sort of it, it seems pointless to try and make that distinction. As far as I'm concerned, I don't know how you feel about that, Dennis. Well, I actually disagree with you on that because I think that it is if if we look at the audience of these descriptions as you and me and the people who've been really involved in the use of technology in the legal profession I think I tend to agree with you that it's one big category and there's sort of different slices that you can take of it I think when you go outside of that group and certainly when you go out to the public I think those distinctions can actually make some sense. And you say, okay, here's a technology that lawyers themselves actually use. And here's this technology that allows that, that anybody can use that allows you to do something that's either legal or quasi-legal and give you a result, probably without the, I'll call it physical intervention of, of a lawyer. And so I can make that distinction. That's something I can, I can explain to people. Now, what I think is, is difficult is because in the, the, the conversation Tom and I had before we did the recording, I got the legal tech and law tech exactly backwards, even though I've, I've talked about it to my students and things like that. So I think it's actually a little bit confusing as to which label you, you put on what. And I tend to go, I, I think that, that Chrissy may be right if you call law tech something that goes directly to the, the end users, the customers, uh, rather than lawyers. That may be a little bit easier to understand. Um, so it's like fintech, regtech, law tech, that, that sort of sense uh, might be a, a way to divide it. So I look at it that sense, but that sort of takes me to, to where I wanted to go next and what we wanted to talk well, about. But before you do that, so a, a brief rebuttal to that. So two things, you know, you talk about reg tech, insure tech. I never see those terms out there. I, I do see fintech. I do see that out there someplace. But uh, as a consumer, I never see the terms reg tech or insure tech. And, in, you know, in my opinion, if I'm going to use LegalZoom as the example here, the average consumer is not going to say, yeah, I just used law tech to do my uh, to do my will. I just used a service that let me do my will. I, I That's why I think that to a certain extent, I think that helping lawyers understand the difference, if you want to have that 
that distinction here and say that here's how, here's what we're calling it. Fine, I get it. That's fine. But I think that if you're using this as a way of saying that that this is going to help consumers understand what it is, I don't think consumers are going to know the difference between legal tech or law tech or anything. It's just a service that helps them get what they want. And I don't know that they're ever going to use services use words like this to describe it. Maybe I'm just grumpy about that, but I don't think that they care that much. It doesn't keep them up at night wondering what to call these kinds of services. Right. And that's a fair point. And so I, I think it's just slightly easier to make that distinction. Although I've, I've flipped on it, as you know, from the conversations that we've had. And so when I start talking about legal technology in my law school class, what I realized was there was a big disconnect between the students, what the students were thinking um, and what I was talking about. So I just said, the problem is not with the students, it's, it's with me. I need to come up with a better way to explain this. So I, I took Chrissy's notions and then I said, but there's, to me, sort of two really big pieces missing when I think of, of, of legal tech. Um, and I said, oh, my God, there's a potentially a quadrant chart here. And I think that, Tom, you know, the time I spent at, at MasterCard sort of changed my way of thinking. So I, I will acknowledge I lived in a world for a number of years where things like fintech, regtech, and stuff like that were just, you know, common terms and quadrant charts and other things like that are something I became a lot more familiar with. So I said, can I do a quadrant chart that puts these together? And, and I did. Um, and then I was, I was just telling Tom, the only thing that I didn't come up with, not to make it a, a really great quadrant chart, is I couldn't exactly figure out how to label the axes. So I sort of have these four squares together that look like a quadrant chart. And I'm going to post this up to my blog, and it should be easy to find. And we'll get it added to the show notes. I don't have a URL, unfortunately, because I haven't put it up yet, but it will be easy to find by Google and through my social media and stuff. And since it's such a cool chart, it will probably rock the world and go viral and get like a trillion views and stuff. So it should be easy to find. But we're going to talk about the quadrant. So you kind of have to use your imaginations here, but there's sort of, uh, you know, four boxes to it. And I, I if you imagine that on the the left two squares, we're looking at an internal focus. So you're inside a law firm, inside a law practice. And on the right-hand side, you have an external focus. So it's either to clients or to the public at large or to you know, other parties, that, that sort of thing. And that will kind of give you, give you a framework. Um, I wish I had a y-axis, but I don't. So, I don't know, Tom, since it's uh, my chart, it's only fair to let you explain the first box. Okay. So, um, if we're talking about the, and and what you mean is the lower left box, is that what you're looking to, to describe? Yeah, we're going to start with the lower left. We're going to start with the lower left. So, the lower left, if, if we're looking at internal the internal uh, technologies that are used by lawyers that really have primarily a business focus. So technology that's used inside a law firm that really deal with standard business processes. So your office suite, word processor, spreadsheets, that yes. sort of thing, yes. your back office, um, all of your accounting and financial, to a certain extent, your time and billing, although there's a little overlap there. Any technology that you use for security purposes or things like that, that I think is what 
what is intended to be part of the left quadrant. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit more about my opinion about whether it should be there or not, but I think that's the, whether it belongs as part of this whole thing, but, but I think that's one clear part of technology that's used by lawyers on the internal facing side. It's not something that the, the clients use. It's not something that's exposed to the clients. It's something that's internal just for lawyer use. Right. And and so I sometimes uh, describe to my students, say, if, if it's not unique to lawyers. So if you were starting any small business that you would need this software or this technology. And, and so technology I'll use in a broader sense than, than software. It just happens that the small business is a law firm and the small business owner or employees are, are lawyers. So it's just that standard technology that Tom described really well. So if then you move up to the upper left quadrant, again, it's this is internal technologies, but they're law-specific and they're used actually used by lawyers typically in their practice um, to actually practice law. So that could be the practice-specific software. Uh, so you have a bankruptcy practice and there's a program that you use to do bankruptcy filings and documents. Could be your case management programs, lit support, the e-discovery that you might use uh, totally inside the firm for your client. And so it will be things like that. So you say, this is really the stuff that feels like it's only used by lawyers or it's predominantly used by lawyers and it's used in, in their practice. So I call that law-specific technologies and inside the law firm. Tom, you want to take the the upper right? Sure. So as we move to the upper right, we're moving outside or more towards the outside, uh, focused towards the client. And we have technologies that will still be used by the lawyers internally, but these are tools that face outwards. And so the client can access and work with. So, you know, the collaboration tools we talk about so often on this podcast are included in this quadrant. Um, client portals, um, e-discovery, so review tools where documents are posted and both the clients and the, and the lawyers can review them. Uh, educational tools, being able to educate uh, clients on uh, employment law and, and different other matters. So these are things that that kind of straddle the line between internal and external. They definitely help the lawyers provide a service to their clients, but they're not strictly internally based tools. And that's what we were initially referring to as the legal tech quadrant. So the last one, so this would be the the lower right, is uh, what Chrissy was calling law tech. So I call this customer-facing technologies used by people other than lawyers to deliver either quasi-legal or law-related services. So there's there's a little bit of nuance there. So those would be like the document preparation tools, tax preparation, training, some possibly some compliance education, some decision trees, some nominal filing, things like that. And and I would say an example that I think about is, is reg tech in the sense is a more sophisticated example of this. So it's really, you're, it's external 
the end user is not a specific client and a lawyer may either not be involved or may be only minimally involved. And so this is the area that I think is getting a lot of interest. Um, it's getting uh, investment and it's it may be an area, I mean, it's always existed. I don't know that I would have broken it out um, in the past when I was uh, was thinking about uh, legal tech because it's always been there. And I would say that if we kind of circle back to sum up, I would say that if you ask most lawyers and most people about legal tech, they would say it's this upper left quadrant that you most think of as legal tech. So that's the practice-specific software, case management, but the actual software and technology tools used by a lawyer, you know, at his or her desk exactly in her practice. And I would say it's also been bumped out um, to give Tom and me a pat on the back with our collaboration book. So now people do think about there are legal tools that uh, involve clients and they involve other parties working together in, in the technology used to do that. So I, I think that's the overview um, time. I don't. I think it worked with the students as a teaching tool, but I kind of want to put it out there, one to get your thoughts on it, and then then we'll get it out into the wild and see what other people think of it. So, I mean, sort of as we've talked through it, what's what's your reaction at this point? So, I think that it does a good job of describing the different types of technologies that lawyers use to serve their clients and or clients you customers use or consumers use to access legal services. So I think that this is a good way of describing the gamut of technologies that that are in use and being able to describe the difference between them. The challenge that I have and the one thing that I think I've said to you before is I'm not 100% convinced that a quadrant is the best way to define this or to describe the world of legal technology. And I have two primary reasons for this. The, the first is that if we're calling this a legal technology quadrant chart, then well, the lower left shouldn't really be there because it's not legal technology. It's just business technology that's used by lawyers, even though lawyers have a duty to understand the technology if they use it for their clients, even if ABA Tech Show's best educational sessions are how to use Microsoft Office, if we're still defining legal technology, I would argue that it's not. And so I would say that uh, you may be left kind of with a three-legged quadrant, so to speak. But that's, for me, a minor point. I think the, the other challenge that I have with this is we usually look at quadrants like this as, um, as ways to define, you know, I, I look at what Gartner puts out when they rank um, different software tools, and, and there, there is a defined x-axis and a y-axis. And we have the x-axis defined here that it is internal versus external, but I think the y-axis is harder to figure out what that means. And so that's why I struggle with the notion of the quadrant, um, whether there's a better way to define this or whether it might be possible to find a y-axis that would make that sort of come together that would make it a little more logical and easier to rank things um, along that axis uh, to kind of make the quadrant notion a little more logical. And that's kind of my that's kind of my thought. I think it does a great job of telling all these things. I'm just wondering whether this is the right format for it. 
Yeah, so I, I struggled because I, I did come up with the y-axis that uh, really worked. And so tentatively, I said, well, maybe there's this notion of actual attorney involvement. And so at the at the bottom, it was a very low level of involvement. So like in the office apps and stuff like that. And as you move to the upper quadrants, it was a high level of involvement because you you have technology actually used by lawyers and then technology used by lawyers in connection uh, with their clients. So that could work. I'm not totally sold on that. And then I think you're right that it, the real test of it is, is if we can start to map certain technologies inside this quadrant, then I think it, it could work as a quadrant chart. I sort of think it's a it sort of works as a teaching tool. And it may be a way to help organize our thinking and kind of figure out what it is that some technologies do well or where they, they might be used. So I just kind of want to put it out to the world and and uh, and see what discussion it generates. I would say on that, I, I, I am going to argue for that business technology piece, that lower left quadrant, because I... In the context of the the entrepreneurial law class I was teaching, you know, one of the questions is if I want to go out and start my own firm, what is the technology I need? And it's actually what's in that quadrant there is a lot of what you need at the start to get a, a, a you know your own solo practice, uh, especially off the ground. So I think it it serves a place and it's sort of like a platform that everything, you know, sits on. And it, so it could be, like you said, Tom, the quadrant chart is wrong. It may be something that we're doing, something that's more like a pyramid where you've, you know, it sits on the base and you move up so that direct client is the top. I'm not sure that's successful. So we may have somebody who can help us picture data and stuff like that, come up with a, a better approach. But I, I sort of, you know, just felt the need that we needed to maybe talk about what, what the heck legal tech means. Um, so I don't know. I just see this as a start, Tom. Nope. I think it's a good start. I think one of your good audiences to test this in front of will be the students when you talk about it with them. I'm, I'm hoping that maybe you'll be able to come back and give an update on their feedback and, and whether you've made any changes to it or had any different ideas on what it looks like. But I think it's a good start and a good kind of definitional uh, framework for looking at legal technology. But, uh, you know, like all good things, they, uh, they sometimes need time to evolve and, uh, and improve. So in the meantime, though, uh, let's take a break for a message from our sponsors. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. Text Expander is a productivity multiplier. Lawyers love Text Expander because with a short abbreviation or search while typing, Text Expander can produce cover emails for invoices or signing instructions, insert templates for consistent meeting notes, perform accurate date math on the fly, and instantly present things you retype all the time. Text Expander runs on Macs, iPhones, iPads, and Windows and works in any application. 
Visit textexpander.com slash podcast for 20% off your first year. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. So the really huge consumer electronics show, which is now even broader in scoping, called simply CES, happens each January and previews the hottest new technologies about to hit the market in the coming year or so. Tom and I actually talk about this most every year, about what we learn from the coverage of the conference, because we, we don't actually attend the event, so we're not actually burdened with having you know, data and evidence and that sort of thing. But actually, the coverage is interesting because it helps us get a sense of what's going on there and what people find exciting and learn about the highlights. So I guess, Tom, let's start with you. What what captured your attention and potentially your dollars from uh, CES 2019? So there's so much going on at the Consumer Electronics Show that it's really hard to pay attention to all of it unless you're a journalist and you're covering it and you're paid to look at it. So I'm not going to talk about the self-driving cars or what they're doing with mirrorless cameras now. To me, the things that captured my attention were, um, one, Google's participation this year apparently was triple what it what it has been in the past. Um, they're all over the place. Apparently, I guess it goes it goes along with sort of the second trend is that voice control and assistance are also big winners this year. And every single tool that had the Google Assistant built into it, they put a Google employee wearing some sort of Google jumpsuit or or overalls at each vendor booth where there was a Google Assistant. So they had a presence at every single booth where Google Assistant was built into it. But it's not just Google. I mean, there are some crazy applications of it. Amazon now has Alexa built into toilets and showers and uh, just, I think, crazy places where, uh, where voice assistants are. But that is, I think, a continuing huge trend. Smart homes, making a lot of progress, a lot more tools, a lot more way to combine services. Um, But I think that the overall thought is it's still a struggle to make it all work seamlessly because there's still so many different tools that don't quite integrate with each other the way you'd want them to unless you really buy everything all from one company, which is hard to get a full smart home out of that. Artificial intelligence. uh, What I read was that artificial intelligence was sort of plastered across TVs. It was, it was now with AI was uh, on TVs, on washing machines, on cameras, Did these tools have AI last year? Probably. Did people understand what it meant last year? Probably not as well as they understood it this year. And so that's why people took advantage of it and said, now with AI. Um, Specific products, there were a couple that I thought were cool and interesting. Absolutely the coolest thing I saw was LG's new roll-up TV. It's a 65-inch TV that rolls into a small case. Um, it's, it's a very, very thin thing, and it just rolls up when you're done with it, and you don't have to see it. It looks awesome and probably outrageously expensive, but I need one of those. Um, probably much more affordable to me was the Lenovo Smart Clock, just a very small smart clock, a great alarm clock for your bedside that runs the Google Assistant. Simple, easy, hopefully not going to be a lot of money. Lots of great laptops. I've, I've, I've read a number of, of reports from CES that say that, you know, you're kind of in the heyday of getting great laptops. They've done about as much as they can with a laptop right now. Dennis, I, I noticed uh, you're a big fan of kettlebells. There's a smart kettlebell product out there now um, that will measure what you're doing, keep track of it. It actually can change weights. Uh, so that's pretty amazing to me. And then for some strange reason, um, the Impossible Burger, the 
meatless burger somehow became a thing at the Consumer Electronics Show. I'm not real sure how that works, um, but it was all over the news saying that they've debuted Impossible Burger 2.0 and it's crazy good for a meatless burger. So those were the things that kind of stood out to me. Dennis, um, what piqued your interest? Well, I I guess I was interested in, in two things. So one is just the hype, the whole hype cycle in in general. Uh, so sometimes I read about what's happening at C, uh, CES and the comments people make, and it's stuff like, "Hey, you know this great technology that we talked about a couple of years ago? Well, now it's finally getting to the point where it's actually usable." And you're going like, "Ooh, I'm glad I held off on that." And you know, and then CES always <laughs> the coverage always reminds me of what was it, how many years ago when 3D TVs were the thing, and I don't even know anybody who has a 3D TV at this point. You know, so sometimes. I don't know that they have 3D <laughs> so, you know, anymore. There's yeah. definitely some stuff that it will appear and it's hyped and, uh, you know, it just doesn't pan out. So that's always kind of interesting. I also think that to me, it's still surprising, like how uh, the stories you read about how women are treated at CES and, and there's some other issues out there that, uh, you know, just make you realize there's still a long way to, to go in, in that that industry. But I, I saw, uh, I think you're right, Tom. I think this Alexa, uh, Google assistant voice thing built into everything. And so that voice becomes a platform is, uh, fascinating to me. I was talking to somebody the other day, or maybe I wrote this to somebody the other day. I, I said that, uh, I'm always interested in the platform and they had this idea. Yeah. Somebody had an idea to do an app and I just said, and an app to me is just the expression of a platform because the platform is what's interesting. The app is just sort of your, you know, the way you get into it. And I think that that voice with Alexa and Google that as we we get used to it at the one place with the Echo or the Google Home, then when we start to see it in our cars and other places, it really becomes this interesting platform. And so the implications of that are, are are really cool, with one exception, which was coming up a lot, and that's data privacy and how much information, you know, especially in the world of Internet things, is being uh, collected, gathered, and used, uh, hopefully in good ways, but... Uh, Sometimes we question that. So that data privacy, especially location data, I think is is starting to become an issue, especially with the smart home and, and s- some of the other technologies. But I don't know, Tom, if there's anything specific. I would, you know, I'm sort of interested in drones these days for whatever reason, maybe as a toy. But uh, so it's always interesting what's going on there. But, but I sort of step back and, like I said, sort of platforms, data privacy, and some of the issues of, uh, you know, the, the treatment of employees generally in, in the tech industry, I, th- I think, were some of the things that, that jumped out at me. But now it's time for our parting shots. That one tip website or observation you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. So I have been using, um, when I put together presentations, I will always try to, I'm always finding stock photography or I'm finding other images that I really like part of it, but there's a background in it or there's something that I'd rather have the background be transparent um, and it's not, it's a gray background or it's a blue background or something and I don't like the way that that's done and I really want the background gone. PowerPoint has the ability to remove a background, 
but it's kind of clunky and it's hard and it works a lot of the time, but a lot of time to get it to work, you have to work pretty hard. Well, there's a new site out there called Remove Image Background. And um, you all you do is upload the picture there and literally within five seconds, it removes the background for you. And it is nearly 100% accurate with the ones that I was was, was working with. Um, it was pretty magical to me. And so um, it's a, just, you just upload it, you remove the background, you download it, and, and you're done. Um, it's uh, just www.remove.bg. Um, really a great tool for, uh, for any presentations you might be doing. Wait, isn't, isn't the whole point to turn this into action and you remove the existing background and just sub in the background that you want? Or is that a good separate? Well, that's a separate, separate activity. <laughs> okay. Um, so I have two quick ones. So the ABA's uh, Legal Technology Resource Center is responsible for the ABA's annual technology survey. And one of the things that we've done over the years is to put together these things called tech reports, all one word, that uh, kind of summarize the highlights of the data from the different parts of that ABA survey. So um, most of them are out at this point. I just had one come out yesterday on cloud computing. So I don't, there's a huge long URL for this, so I'm not going to read it, but we'll put it in the show notes. But if you just do, you know, ABA tech report, one word, 2018, you'll probably get there in Google. Um, the other way you can get it is if you just put in cloud computing and tech report, one word, and my name, Dennis Kennedy, um, you'll find my cloud computing report. The other thing is, is Tom and I uh, try to actualize our resolution or our blog's resolution for this year is to try to get more listener involvement. We're experimenting with a, a Google Doc we put up for um, for podcast topic suggestions. So uh, we're asking for suggestions for the A segment, the B segment, and then potentially for interviews as we do that. So it's in a, a Google Doc. Um, you'll be allowed to to make comments, to add things to it in the form of comments with your suggestions, and, and we'd love to see how it goes. So if there's topics you wanted us to cover, uh, then just go ahead and submit it to this Google Doc. I wish I would have figured out a way to uh, to make Tom read this URL, but uh, it's uh, currently bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash Two capital Q capital N W H capital Z U, uh, which believe me is way shorter than the Google Doc U URL, um, and we'll put that in the show notes, and that's something that you can use on a regular basis. And so that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site, where you can find archives of all of our previous podcasts. Make sure to suggest a topic uh, at the URL Dennis mentioned, bit.ly slash 2 capital Q capital N W H capital Z U. If you'd like to get in touch with us, reach out to us on LinkedIn or leave us a voicemail. We have multiple ways for you to get in touch with us, including our voicemail at 720-441-6820. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology, as we've now defined it, with an internet focus. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts, and we'll see you next time for another episode of the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network. 
Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network. <laughs>